Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's word, as was mentioned last week, as we completed the book of Philippians, we're going to turn to a minor prophet, that of the prophet Haggai. We're going to read the first 15 verses. If you'll please give your reverent and diligent reading and hearing to God's word this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the, Lord, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Please be seated. There are certain historic, life-altering days, both for a nation as well as for us personally. You can think of December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, or perhaps September 11th, 2001, with the terrorist attacks, or perhaps in a more recent time, March 12th, 2020, the beginning of the shutdown because of the coronavirus. I always like to state publicly that that is also the date of Pastor Meyer's birthday. So if there's a correlation, (laughs) perhaps. These are national dates, historic dates. And no doubt we have personal dates that are significant to us, joyous dates, and perhaps some that are not so joyous, but dates that we will never forget, nevertheless. We all know these watershed moments where life is dramatically altered. 
for Old Testament Israel, no doubt the year 586 BC would have been such a date, the date when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, the destruction of Solomon's temple, and they were carried into exile. But another date would be our passage this morning, which would have been August 29th, 520 BC. Why is that? Because that is the date when the word of the Lord once again came to the people of Israel that were there back in Israel. And it came through the prophet Haggai, as we see this morning. And that's why at the very beginning of our passage, we have such a very specific date given to us the second year in the sixth month on the first day of the month, which historians have Backdated to be August 29th, 520 BC. A watershed moment in the life of Israel. The word of the Lord comes to them, and it comes to them in the form of a rebuke, saying, Consider your ways. Your ways are not good. Because whereas the exiles that had returned from Babylon, started strong, they soon lost steam, they lost motivation, their eyes began to focus on other things, their heart was captured by another. We would say that a life drift began to take place, and they had misplaced priorities and a misplaced purpose that affected everything, and the message of the Lord to them through Haggai, is it's time to return to what really matters. And I think this message is extremely relevant for the 21st century church as much as it was for the people during Haggai's day. And so let's look at this passage. Let's look at Haggai chapter 1 under two headings, misplaced priorities and then renewed purpose. First, misplaced priorities as we begin this book, historical context is needed. The entirety of this book takes place in just four short months, from August to December, as I said, in the year 520 B.C. And so if you are doing the math this morning, then you see that this message was given exactly 25 Hundred years to the day, 2,500 year anniversary of the message of Haggai to the people of Israel. And I believe through the Holy Spirit that this is the message to us today, not just because it's the 2,500 year anniversary, but because it is the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is always relevant to us no matter what time it is, no matter what year it is. In fact, look at verse 1 with me. It says that the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophets. That is a great verse to explain what we mean by the inspiration of Scripture. That words were written by men. Notice it was written by the hand of Haggai. That God 
used men. He used their characteristics. He used their education. He used their style of writing and their experiences. While simultaneously illuminating their mind and suppressing their sinfulness so that every word and every thought was free from error and was truly God's word. And yet at the same time, every book is distinct. It's distinct to the author that wrote it. And so we can see this morning from that little phrase that the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. We can say that Haggai indeed wrote this book, but the Lord supernaturally, prophetically used him to speak his words. Peter says something very similar in Second Peter. He says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so you hear what these verses are saying to us this morning, that it is the word of the Lord to us. Even though it was given 2,500 years ago, it is living and active just as it was that day, it is today. And it's why we as a church believe in God's word. That just as at the beginning of the world, when God spoke and it came into being, God still speaks today through his word. And he makes dead sinners alive through it. And so God's word is sufficient for faith and practice. We could say it this way, God's word is as relevant to us as today's news. But to fully understand the message, we need to understand it in its original context. And this context of this prophecy was given to the people of Israel as they returned to Israel after exile. As I said before, Judah and Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C. to the Babylonians. And most of Israel was carried off into exile. Well, not long after, the Babylonians themselves were captured, and they fell to the Persians, to Cyrus the Great. And the Lord used Cyrus as an instrument, a pagan emperor, to have mercy and grace upon the people of Israel and We don't know why other than that it was the work of the Lord upon this pagan emperor. He issues this decree that every Israelite that wanted to return to Israel could. And we read that over 50,000 Israelites did exactly that. And they were led by Ezra. You can read about it in the book of Ezra. And we cannot underestimate how significant a historical event that truly was. Because for nearly 40 years, Israel was essentially non-existent. You can think of it as the, the people of God were scattered. The land, the promised land that was given to Israel was either laid barren or was occupied by foreign people who seized upon the departure of the Israelites. And even furthermore, probably we would even say, Worse was that the worship of the Lord had been practiced since the time of Moses and Aaron had literally been done away with. 
And we know that this was all done in judgment upon God's people. God was judging, was disciplining his own. But it would be very easy to look at that time and think that God had forgotten his people. Yet we know that God has not forgotten, that God has never forgotten his promises. Despite his people's unfaithfulness, God was always faithful and God was still at work. And in 539, with this proclamation of Cyrus the Great, the future of Israel was radically changed. They were allowed to return, and they were allowed to reclaim the land and to begin to restore it. And what we read about in the historical narratives was that they began strong. We read that they began to build an altar immediately upon their return. And they began to lift up burnt offerings for the first time in 40 years. They began to celebrate their their feasts and their festivals as God's people. And they began to lay the foundation of the temple so that they could have true worship once again restored to them. They even put in an order with Tyre and Lebanon to send cedars so that they could build this temple to the Lord. And so those first years upon return, no doubt everything seemed to be so fresh and so exciting. It was like a religious honeymoon. Perhaps some of you can remember that in your your own conversion, that those first days and those first years, there was such joy. Everything was so new. There was this love and passion for the Lord that was fervent. Well, we can say that that was true of Israel as well. But fast forward 20 years to the time of Haggai, and well, the scene is somewhat different. That which began so strong, so fervently, had begun to fade. That enthusiasm began to wane. And the temple that had been started remained right where it was. And there was only the foundation, just a concrete or perhaps brick slab. There was no dwelling place, no structure, no temple in order to have proper worship. And the question we should ask is, well, what happened? Did the people get wiped out? Did another nation invade? Did they get ransacked? Were they taken into exile? No, none of that. No, they were perfectly fine. In fact, we could even say they were comfortably fine. And perhaps even say too comfortably fine. They had begun to establish themselves back in the land. They began to to build houses for themselves. They began to, to plant and to develop themselves. And seemingly that had taken priority over the work of the Lord and over the worship of the Lord. And notice when the word of the Lord comes to them in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now is not the time. Maybe later. Maybe tomorrow. 
maybe next month, maybe next year. And the idea was that this had been Sid for some time. Not now. It's not yet time. Pretty, perhaps later. And what happened is 18 years had rolled off the calendar, so to speak, and nothing had taken place. The Israelites, in other words, had adopted the adage, today's not good and tomorrow's not looking very good either. And no doubt they had very good and very rational ideas and reasons why perhaps this couldn't take place. We know that the neighboring nations were somewhat hostile from the very beginning. The locals that were in the land were less than pleased that these Israelites were back and beginning to form themselves as a nation. Plus, it was a very politically unstable time. Cyrus the Great, who had issued the decree, was now dead, and Darius, his son, as we read in this passage, was now the ruler. Well, the son was not like his father. Cyrus was Cyrus the Great for a reason, when Darius was, well, just Darius. Egypt at this time was on the rise, and no doubt the people of Israel were thinking, well, at any moment an invasion might take place. We're just not established yet. We don't have the protection. We don't have the security. We need to establish ourselves first. We need to build our economy. We need to build our trade. And that's what they began to do. Form their own vineyards and build up their own flocks and herds. And no doubt there was a lot of work to be done. And perhaps the thought was, well, we'll maybe we'll get to the temple later when we have a little extra time upon our hands. Perhaps they were no doubt disheartened. Israel at this time was a shadow of their former things. They used to be this national juggernaut, and now they were hardly in anybody. And when the temple foundation was laid, we read in Ezra that the old people began to cry and began to weep. Why? Because they had remembered Solomon's temple and how great and how glorious it was and that was now gone, and no doubt this new temple could never replace it. The thought might have been, well, why even try? And so do you hear what Israel was so easily perhaps saying? Now is crazy times. Unstable times. Unprecedented times. Divisive times. It's not like it was in the old days, how it used to be. Does any of this sound familiar to you? We are saying the exact same things. And you know what? They were right. And if you are saying those things, you're right. This has been a very crazy time. I don't know about you, but I think I will stay up on New Year's Eve just to make sure that New Year's does come. <laughs> but you can see how easily these unprecedented times, as we call them, can so easily slide into excuses. that We really just can't be about the worship and work of the Lord right now. 
Maybe tomorrow. Or maybe next year. But if we're looking for the right times, we will never do the Lord's work, will we? And just look at the irony of that statement. The Lord of hosts says. The Lord of hosts speaks. The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of myriads of angels, the Lord of the countless ranks of heavenly armies, the Lord who is the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power speaks. And yet, what does his people say? His people say, you're going to have to hold on. We're a little preoccupied right now. This just isn't a very good time. Maybe call back later. Oh, the audacity of a creature to speak the creator that way. And yet, how many times have we done the same? How many times are we doing the same? Lord, you need to just move over a little bit. You need to sit tight. And it's not active rebellion. And it wasn't active rebellion in the days of Israel, was it? If you would have asked him, are the ways of the Lord good? They would have said, yes, the ways of the Lord is good. If you would have asked them, is the work of the Lord important? Yes, the work of the Lord is important. But it wasn't a problem of belief, was it? It was a problem of action. In other words, inaction. It was much easier, it was more comfortable to do the same things rather than what the Lord had called them to do. It wasn't active rebellion, it was inactive neglect which is truly just passive rebellion, isn't it? And yet, how that can be true of us as well. Augustine, in his book, The Confessions, said that for many years in his youth, he knew that his wild living was not right, it was not good. In fact, he went as far as to pray, Lord, give me chastity and give me temperance, But not yet. Not yet. Few of us would be so bold to pray such a prayer as that, but in action we do the same, don't we? Lord, I am yours. Well, except this little part over here. I'm going to keep that to myself. Here I am, Lord, send me next year. I'll be ready. See, procrastination is always a sin if it's against the the work and the will of the Lord. And so what areas of your life are you saying to the Lord, not yet? Lord, no, you can't be the Lord over that area. Or Lord, you can't really tell me what to do over here because I'm still taking care of this or that. And that's what was happening with the Israelites, that they were beginning to pour themselves in the land and into their houses. And that's what the Lord says, right, in verse 4. It's, it's a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin. That they were living in luxury. They had gone beyond just adequate provisions for themselves to decorative and finishing touches to their houses. Whereas the temple laid in ruins. To say it in 21st century language, the Lord's house is in ruined while you live in 
Pinterest-decorated shiplaffed houses. And it has less to do with decorative houses or nice things, but rather, where is it that your comfort and your security lies? For people during Israel's day, it was in the things of this earth. It was in homes and harvests and food and drink and clothing, that which they could provide. Yet, we read in verses 5 through 6 that it really wasn't providing the things that they were looking for. It says, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you are never filled. Your clothes are ones with holes in them. Why? Because the Lord was driving it away. It says that in verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And you brought it home. I blew it away. I didn't allow it to satisfy. I didn't allow it to be that which completed you. Why is that? Because they had neglected the Lord. We know that the temple was the foreshadowing of Christ. And so if we can put this in 21st century language, once again, or a New Testament perspective, essentially what Haggai is saying is you neglected Christ. And let me ask you this morning, is that perhaps what the Lord is doing in this time? In this day, in this age, where things are very uncertain, very unstable, where he is beginning to shake our foundations, is he beginning to do it so as to expose our idols? To say that we have neglected Christ because we're looking to things of the earth rather than to him. You're busy building your houses, whereas you've forgotten the Lord and you've forgotten the Lord's house. You've neglected Christ. Yet we read in the Psalms, one, Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Are we laboring in vain? Because we've forgotten what is most important to us. Haggai says it again and again in this book. Consider your ways. Have we gone astray? Am I investing my life, my pleasures in something other than the Lord? Am I trying to find comfort and provision in things of this earth? Am I pointing my children to the same? Listen, are we telling our children, children, you need to study hard so that you can get into a good college, so that you can get into a good job, so that you can have a comfortable life. Is that what we're really telling our children? Should we not be saying, you need to strive hard after Christ? You should do what Christ would want you to do. Not just what is most comfortable. Listen, are we praying our children would be used, would be instruments of the Lord? That the Lord has full pleasure to send them wherever he wants to send them. Are we just wanting our lives and our families just to be comfortable? Listen, we are made for the Lord. We're made to do the Lord's work. And we will not be satisfied in anything less. And so where is our treasure? Where are we building our houses, our lives? Where's our security? Where's our comfort found? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are we treasuring right now? Is it Christ? Or is it something else? 
is not the Lord asking us this morning, have we turned our gaze away from him? And are we looking to something that can never fulfill, can never satisfy, that can never give us what we want? Consider your ways, beloved. Turn your eyes of faith back to him again and return to him and return with a renewed sense of purpose. That's what the people of Israel did. And it's a beautiful verse, verse 12, that the word of the Lord came to them. And it says, they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? They weren't doing what was right, but the Lord sent his word and they repented and they turned and they obeyed the Lord. And that the Lord is gracious to us to allow these opportunities for us to realign our life, to redirect our hearts, to redirect our gaze upon him again. So that we can walk once again upon the straight and narrow. And he doesn't say, well, you screwed up once and you're probably going to screw up again. And so why do I have anything to do with you? No, the Lord allows us to come if we recognize our wrongdoing and we declare it and we repent and we go on a new path that the Lord gives his grace and mercy to us. My friends, if you're here this morning and you would say, well, the Lord would never accept me. Or perhaps the Lord would never accept me back once again. I've done too much. I've gone too far. My affection has grown too cold. The Lord will not allow me to return once again to him. I can't return except with a sheepish face, and I just don't know that I can handle it. If that's your attitude this morning, then let me say to you, then my brother, my sister, then you do not know the Lord. The Lord is not looking for great faith. He's not looking for great acts or deeds. He's looking for a humble and contrite spirit. Faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains, my friends. And if you've come in that attitude, and then to put it in the words of the prodigal, the father comes running to the repentant sinner. I love how one commentary puts it. It's a commentary on the book of Jonah. You remember Jonah? The word of the Lord came to him, and what did Jonah do? He went in the exact opposite direction. And we remember what the Lord brought him through to take him back. And chapter 3 of Jonah has this beautiful verse. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And one commentary says this, We are moved to speak of Jonah's God as the God of second chance. But honest, sober reflection compels the saints to speak of him as the God of the 999th chance. Such gracious mercy as was extended to Jonah and to David and to the thief dying upon the cross and to Peter and we would say and to the Israelites during Haggai's day as well as to you and me. Surely it has been granted to all believers through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what takes place in this passage as the people return? Notice what the Lord says to them. He comes to them with another message, verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. Notice how the stance of the Lord has changed. At verse 2, he said, these people. He doesn't even say, my people. 
But now as they turn and as they repent, he comes and says to them, I am with you. And God indeed is with us. And Romans 8 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? God is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And that is where we find all the hope, all the comfort, all the security that we need. And therefore, we move to do the Lord's work. And that's exactly, again, what the people of Israel did. They went to work. And the Lord is calling us to do the same. Stop fretting about that which is taking place politically or culturally or economically. And let us be about the work of Christ and his kingdom. A.W. Tozer, I posted this on our Facebook page right after the election. He wrote this, Christians, when they are born of God, immediately shift their citizenship and become pilgrims and strangers where they used to be citizens. Why then are we left here on earth among strangers? We are left here to worship, to witness, and to work. These three things are what we are here for. Indeed, these three things are what we are here for. This is a citizen-shaping time, isn't it? We are citizens of heaven, not of earth. And the Lord is stirring us up once again to go back about his purpose, his priorities, building his kingdom, to be about worship, witness, and work, or to say it as we like to say it around here, to, to know and to grow and to show forth the love of Christ. And so has your gaze, beloved, been sidelined? Has it been taken off the Lord? Let us not be outsiders looking in any longer. Let us run the race and let us run it with perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is calling us all. He's calling us all back to himself today for he is with us. He is Emmanuel. So let us go forward with boldness and confidence. Indeed, 2020 has been a crazy year. But we can say as believers, we should say, what of it? What of it? The Lord is still on his throne. There's work to be done. Let us be of the Lord's work until our race is complete, until we go to be with him or he comes to be with us. Let us continue Put our priority, our faith, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we need this convicting word to us this morning. Lord, let us not speak to you and say it is not time. Lord, how dare we would say and speak such things, but we have to confess in many ways we have said that to you. We're just not sure that this is the right time. Lord, your work is always the right time. And we pray that you would have your way with us. That we would once again dedicate ourselves to you. As we complete this year and move into a next, Lord, would you give us a a great and grand vision of what you would call us to do. The ways that you are working in our lives and working in our families' lives and in our children and in our grandchildren and throughout our community and in this church. And Lord, would we say to you once again that we are your instruments to be used by you, however you would please to do so. 
so that you would be glorified and that you would be honored. Oh, Lord, that you would find much pleasure in it. Lord, may we be pleasurable to you this day, for you've called us to be such. And you've done so through giving us your Son and granting to us the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we now walk in that renewed purpose once again, praying that you would ask, that you would help us, and that you would enable us. All for your glory and honor, we pray in Christ Jesus.